Welcome to Cloud of Witnesses. Cloud of Witnesses is a platform used to discuss real problems in our world regarding racial inequalities, housing insecurity, mental health, health disparities, and more. Cloud of Witnesses is a consortium of diverse stories and resources from within our community. Cloud of Witnesses provides access to personal perspectives and expert opinions with the goal of providing fact-based information and solutions. Cloud of Witnesses allows people from all walks of life to connect, collaborate, and learn from one another during these unprecedented times. We are Cloud of Witnesses. 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 And welcome to our podcast. So, Dr. Lyon, just to introduce myself again, uh, my name is Chloe Nicola, and I'm one of the co-directors for the Millennium Fellowship this, this year at UNC Charlotte. Um, and the project that I'm a part of is Cloud of Witnesses. Mm-hmm. And um, this is Tahira Smith, who's going to be helping me um, interview today. Um, Tahira, would you like to kick off? Yes. Yeah, so um, I am also part of the Cloud of Witnesses team, and we're just really, really happy to have you here today to discuss what you do at CAPS and um, your background and all that kind of stuff. So I guess I'll let you go ahead and get into um, telling us about your educational and work experience. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So for me, um, I did my undergraduate work at Wake Forest University, just like an hour from here. Um, And then did my graduate work at Xavier University in Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, So both master's and doctorate. Um, I, after that, I went to Virginia Commonwealth University in Richmond, Virginia, um, and I did both my internship as well as my postdoc fellowship um, there for each year. Um, And then honestly, after that, this was the first job that I took 10 years ago, um, and I have stayed ever since. Um, I have known that I wanted to be a psychologist pretty much since I was in high school um, and kind of stayed that path. Um, Knew I would major in psychology in college, never changed it, even though everyone told me that I probably would. Um, But it's always been my passion. It's always been my love. and, And working with college students is always the thing that I've enjoyed in this field. That's great. Um, so how long have you been working at UNC Charlotte? How many years? Uh, I, just hit, I just hit my 10 years last month. Years. Congratulations. Um, can you expand on like all that you do at CAPS and, you know, maybe the, um, the mission that you guys have and share in the organization? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so really like a lot of the mission of CAPS is to be able to support the overall, you know, well-being um, and mental health of our students so that you all are able to be the students that you need to be academically and be sort of the citizens of your community that you want to be, whatever that means to you. Um, And so, you know, for us, that involves multiple different things that each one of us, myself included, are involved in. Um, So that is a number of different services we provide. That includes individual counseling. um, That includes having a really extensive group counseling program, as well as a big workshop program that we afford to students. Um, And then we also have a really extensive outreach or community engagement program. And the idea behind that is to be able to interface and connect with students like outside of like our building and outside of like the therapy wall. Um, And that piece of our work is particularly important because we recognize not every student is going to come through our doors. Um, One, because they don't necessarily need to. Um, Two, also sometimes they they don't want to. And especially we want to honor cultural stigma that exists in a lot of communities is there's a lot of stigma related to seeking services for mental health. Um, There's a lot of stigma even associated with the field of psychology. 
especially because our field in particular has a pretty bad history um, in terms of the way that um, we have treated in the past, um, you know, queer and trans individuals, communities of color. And so to me, there's this healthy skepticism is, you know, healthy mistrust um, for a number of individuals about coming in. Um, so if we can be able to connect with you all outside of our walls and be able to support your mental health in different ways, that's something that we want to do as well. That's wonderful. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for the question. Yeah. Okay, so now we can um, move on to some kind of general health questions. So just to explain a little bit, um, our project here at UNCC is based on the United Nations 2030 Sustainable Development Goals. And just to give you some background, Dr. Lennon, if you're um, not super familiar, the Sustainable Development Goals were adopted in 2015 by every single member of the United Nations General Assembly. So that's all 193 member states. Um, and so they were kind of made with the intention of bettering life for all people on earth and then bettering the earth itself and um, the assembly decided on 17 goals and cloud of witnesses deals with number three and number four um, so for number three which is good health and well-being i wanted to ask in your opinion how do mental and emotional health contribute to physical or bodily health yeah so i mean i've always kind of seen both of those as um, pretty connected with one another um, and I'm not sure if you all can relate to this but I know for myself a lot of times like if I'm not taking care of my mental health or my emotional well-being a lot of us feel it physically so we might start to feel really kind of worn down and not a lot of energy um, a lot of us our immune systems drop when we're not taking care of our mental health and so we get sick more often we're more likely to get sick when we're dealing with a lot of stress and we're not effectively dealing with that so we succumb to you know physical illnesses much much more um, i think there's also the reverse of that is a lot of times if something is happening to our bodies so if we are managing a chronic illness um, if we are managing an injury um, you know, there's a, there's a mental health toll and an emotional toll that that can take when your body is not functioning in the way that you expect it to or that you become accustomed to it. Um, so a lot of times, you know, even in the way of approaching mental wellness um, and physical wellness, approaches can be on both ends. Um, for example, you know, there's a lot of benefits that folks have talked about um, with yoga and meditative practices in terms of overall mental health and well-being. Um, there's an area of yoga in particular um, that's called restorative yoga. Um, and that area of yoga in particular um, deals a lot with trauma. So when we experience a trauma that happens to us, a lot of that trauma stays in our body. Um, is so that if we see something that reminds us of the trauma, we might feel that reaction actually physically. And so restorative yoga, as an example, helps you kind of move through and work through those things that are existing in your body still. So that's just one example of kind of how, you know, the mental health or emotional health can kind of tie into what your body's doing and where your physical health is at. That's awesome. I actually wanted to uh, expand a little bit into that because yoga has definitely been something that's been like transformative for me in the past. Um, and I didn't realize that, you know, they had that sort of yoga. So where would you recommend that we could find um, a yoga studio that would offer that sort of help? 
That's a good question. So I'm unfortunately, I'm not as familiar with Charlotte, um, like outside of the campus, um, but University Recreation, who is, you know, on campus, is they have a number of yoga instructors. Um, and there are two in particular that we have actually, CAPS has partnered with, that I know for sure have done restorative yoga practice before. Um, so I'm not sure how many instructors actually do that, um, but University Recreation is a place that I would recommend going on their website and checking out their offerings. I know a lot of their offerings now are virtual, which makes sense, um, but just to kind of see what they have and what they offer, uh, because I, I agree, I definitely think it can be very transformative for a number of people. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. That's cool to see that, um, you know, connection in real life between CAPS and University Recreation and not just the theoretical, you know, connection between um, mind and body. Um, so the other goal of our project is based on sustainable development um, goal number four, which is education for all. Um, so I wanted to ask you, um, why is education on mental health important um, for society in general? Yeah, so I mean, I don't know what your all's experiences have been, but I think a lot of us when we grow up, this is one area we don't get a lot of information. I think there's a lot of talking to us about maintaining our physical health and what that can look like. And we get a lot of messages either in schooling or from family or community around that. But there's, I think a lot of people who grow up that their school never talks about mental health, their family never talks about mental health and their community never talks about mental health. Um, and so if you don't have that knowledge, what you're going to get is going to be from media. Um, and alone, there there are certain shows and video in uh, movies that uh, present mental health, I think, in an accurate light, but those are pretty few and far between. I think a lot of stuff related to mental health in the media is very sensationalized. And so unfortunately, then that becomes inaccurate representations that are being delivered to each of us, right? And so if we don't have that education that balances out the inaccurate representations that we've seen, we end up moving forward with a lot of misrepresentations of what mental health looks like, what it means if you struggle with anything related to mental health and what it means to seek services and what's available. So we often hear a lot of people talk about like, well, anybody who goes to counseling must be, must be crazy or something's really wrong with them. And so a lot of what we try to do is just to really demystify counseling and mental health uh, treatment. And also just to be able to kind of normalize it um, is how many people actually do go and seek some type of you know, mental health support. And that might be from a counselor and that might be somewhere else as well. Yeah, I've actually definitely noticed the trend of moving away from stigmatizing counseling and mental health. I remember last year I saw a meme that was like floating around uh, social media and it was like, go to therapy, like it's okay, you know? So <laughs> I, I've definitely noticed a little bit of a shift between like going to therapy is really healthy and like it's very encouraged, you know, it's, it should not be something that you should be ashamed of at all. Absolutely, yep, that, that's a great point. That's a great example. Yeah, and with the kind of stuff that's on, um, you know, the internet kind of encouraging people, I think is shows a very big gap between like us and maybe our parents' generation, as far as, you know, the acceptability of talking about it in public places. Right. Um, Tahir, did you want to move on to the next um, thematic questions? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, of course, we wanted to kind of touch on COVID a little bit. You know, we're all dealing with this situation right now. So we want to um, kind of see how that's, you know, how in your opinion that's impacted mental health or if you've seen like a decline in students or if you've seen a decline overall? 
Yeah, I mean, I think so the CDC uh, released a report, um, I think it was released, I can't remember what month it was released in, but it actually looked at data that they had pulled in June, like this past summer. Um, and so it surveyed adults and it asked a number of different things. But one of the things that they highlighted is I think it was 31% of adults surveyed endorsed um, concerns related to anxiety or depression, like at that time in June. And I mean, that's one third almost of our population, you know, that, or the population that was surveyed. And so to me, I think what that says is mental health concerns have, have always been there. Um, and I think each one of us at some point in our lives struggles with it. Like that's normal. Like I know I have. Um, but I think what COVID has done is it has exacerbated it. Um, I think a lot of people, for example, who struggle with um, anxiety and worry can be a big part of anxiety of course COVID is gonna exacerbate that for a number of people. Um, folks who maybe struggle a lot with depression, part of what can happen with depression is feelings of isolation and loneliness is pulling away from people. But what happens during COVID when you don't have access to the support systems that you're accustomed to, or at least in the way that you're accustomed. So you might see people you know, virtually, but for a number of people, it doesn't feel the same. Um, and so a lot of those things, if they were there to begin with, I think for a lot of people have just gotten exacerbated. And then I think with COVID, I mean, we can't sort of ignore the fact that there has been disparate impact among communities and among groups of people, and especially when it comes to race. And so for me, I think a lot of what COVID has illuminated is the systemic racism that exists within the healthcare system. And so we've always kind of known, a lot of people have known it's there, a lot of people feel it and feel the effects of it if you identify um, as a BIPOC individual or a person of color. Um, and at the same time, I think we're seeing the real reality of that for a lot of us. So myself identifying as white that I don't directly experience it is the amount that it's being showcased to us, I think is very different right now. Um, and so while I think COVID has impacted everyone, we know that there are different impacts, for example, in individuals within the black community, individuals within the Latinx community, um, essential workers, um, you know, so there, there's just, there's different groups of people who have felt the impact in a different way kind of across the board. Yeah, that's so true. That's definitely one of the things that I noticed as well. So I study um, health systems management and we obviously take a lot of public health classes, but one of the major things that was highlighted at the very beginning of the pandemic was that um, everybody was thinking, oh, this is going to target the elderly community. But when the numbers started coming back, the African-American community or population was going way high. So, um, so yeah, we're definitely studying that, talking about that, having conversations about that in class um, and how we can sort of bridge the gap there. So what are some what are some things that you might suggest could potentially help or some things that maybe we can do on campus or some um, some things that you might suggest to students that could potentially help with that issue? Um, when you say that issue, are you thinking about just COVID broadly or are you thinking about the particular communities that are impacted? Uh, the specific communities that are impacted. The specific communities. Mm -hmm. So a couple different things. I mean, I think when we look in communities of color and you mentioned very specifically, you know, the black community or African-American community is, it's hard to separate out because while, I mean, while race-based violence and racism has existed the entire like history of this country, the, the reality is there's been increased media attention since May with the murder of George Floyd. And so 
I think the harshness of it and, and what's going on is you have COVID being present and disproportionately impacting the black community. And then you've got this increased media attention so that every time you're probably on social media or you're turning on the news, you're seeing examples of anti-blackness violence. And so if you put those two things together, I mean, the, the impact on the mental health of someone in that, that what we call vicarious trauma that can happen, even if you yourself are not experiencing it, you are witnessing it, you are witnessing people who look like you that are experiencing it, is that takes a toll. Um, and so I think there's a couple of different ways. So one thing CAPS has been very intentional about um, is we have a, a program, an initiative that's called the Healing and Empowerment Gatherings. Um, this was an initiative that was started by my colleague, Dr. Jerice Carr, a few years ago. Um, and her, as well as our Diversity and Inclusion Committee, is really at the forefront of creating these spaces for particular communities when something locally, nationally, or globally is happening that's disproportionately impacting the mental health and well-being of that community. So, for example, earlier this summer um, is one of those healing empowerment gatherings was held for individuals who identify within the Black community. The two colleagues, my two colleagues who facilitated it also identify within the black community. So we make a pretty intentionality about when we lead one of these, we're very intentional about who is facilitating it and that they be part of that community that's leading it. Um, there are talks right now, we have not solidified a date, um, but we're down to two dates is that there will be another one that will help for individuals within that community. Um, so those are open to students, again, students who hold those identities. Um, and the hope is that it's a healing space, but it's also a joining space and a community space where you can just be with one another. And I think especially, I, I can only imagine for those in the Black community moving throughout our world, and then especially at our university, which is a predominantly white institution, is there's a lot of filters and a lot of checking that you have to do about how truthful you are to st stating what your experience is, how much you have to filter. So the hope is this space just becomes like you don't have to filter and you can just be in community um, with, with people who have similar experiences to yourself. So I think that's one of the main ways that we're kind of going about that. Um, I think the other way is, um, so one of the things that we shifted this semester is we um, significantly amplified um, the amount of first appointments every single week that we offer. Um, the reason for that is we're trying to get students in much more quickly now, um, which we in the past two weeks have been actually pretty successful at decreasing the wait time. So whereas the wait time was maybe um, a little above three days um, last year during the fall semester, now we've got it down to low two days. So that's a pretty significant shift. I mean, almost cutting it in a third. Um, so to be able to get students in more quickly, more timely, um, to be able to connect them um, pretty quickly with a counselor and figure out you know, how their needs are gonna be best served. Um, so I think, again, that's kind of an example of how we're thinking about the counseling support, but then I mentioned the outreach before as we're thinking about how do we connect with students like outside of the therapy walls. Um, so I don't know if that kind of helps to give you a little bit of an idea of a couple of things that we do. Yeah, absolutely. And I really love that you touched on the term vicarious trauma. That's the first time I've ever heard that term described. And I've definitely experienced that, especially with everything that's been going on, you know, in the world since the murder of George Floyd being an African-American um, female, that's definitely something that I experienced going through all of that and having to filter through social media and, um, you know, listening to the news was even terrible and hard. So I've definitely sort of shared that trauma and it's amazing to hear it kind of put into that term and to make it, it makes me feel like, you know, I wasn't the only person who experienced that and that it's okay that I did experience that, that hurt and that pain. 
um, and that there are resources for me, um, you know, to sort of heal that pain because a lot of times, like you said, people hold that in and they don't get a chance to talk about it. And then it just kind of lingers on. Right. So, um, so that's amazing that UNC Charlotte offers, you know, those sort of, um, outlets and, and group meetings, because I feel like that's the best place where you can just go and speak your mind and no one judges you. Right. Well, I'm glad that vicarious kind of resonated, you know, with your experience. And you're right, again, I think this is part of the education is we don't we don't talk about vicarious trauma. This isn't something that's taught to you. So if you don't know how to understand what you're feeling, but once somebody puts a label to it, I think for unfortunately what it does is it legitimizes, whereas maybe at times it didn't feel like it was legitimized before that. Um, so I'm, I'm glad you resonated with that. And, and, you know, one thing I forgot to mention as well is so um, groups run or um, CAPS runs a ton of groups um, every semester and we've expanded between our workshops and groups we have 29 offerings um, this semester and um, particularly for some of those groups we have um, one group that's called the Empowered Black Women's Group. Um, we have three sections of that group so three the same group but they run on three different days. That is a weekly group, uh, again, for students who identify as Black or as African-American women to be able to come in and meet with a small group of students who identify as the same with facilitators who identify the same. Um, we also have an Empower Black Men's group um, that we run. Um, we also have a multicultural women empowerment group, so for women of color. Um, and then we have a uh, group called True Selves, which is for LGBTQ plus identified students. So as we think about the particular, you know, communities, again, that I think um, are really disproportionately impacted by COVID, um, as well as just continue to have to wrestle with ongoing discrimination, oppression, um, all the isms, you know, that come out of that, we want to make sure there are intentional support systems for those community of students. Yes, thank you so much. Chloe, did you want to continue? Sure. Um, so I um, appreciate you describing the different services um, that are available at UNC Charlotte. I'm sure that will be helpful for anyone who um, listens to this interview. Um, one question I did have for you. Um, I appreciate that you rushed out to Niner Times and did the recent um, interview that ended up on their front page. As someone who um, recently began using CAP services myself, um, I was surprised to learn about the um, the, the limit of appointments individually. And so I just wanted to ask, um, what's your recommendation for UNC, stu UNC Charlotte students um, who have long-term counseling needs? Would, that, would you refer them to one of those groups that you um, were describing earlier? Or would, would, you do, um, would you recommend that they seek out outside counseling for that? Yeah, what I'd say, so any student, you know, who's on our campus is eligible to come and to meet with a counselor for like that first appointment, the initial consultation appointment. It's hard because I think each student's needs are very nuanced. Um, and so even if they've done like long-term counseling, you know, in the past, if we have an opportunity to really assess what their needs are currently, as well as hear what their preferences would be, because that's an important piece of this entire thing, is then we are able to talk with them about what their options would be and then support them in terms of whatever direction that they want to go. Um, so again, just because I think each student's nuance needs is a little bit different, it's, it's always sort of a, almost like a it depends type thing um, in terms of what would best meet their needs. So we really try to just individually kind of tailor that for each student that we meet with. Yeah, and I hope anyone who um, watches this takes away that, you know, that, that number shouldn't scare them away, you know, as far as like, oh, that won't be enough. You know, I'm not even gonna, not even gonna try. Yeah. Um, so I think part of the message there would be, you know, um, 
go try it out and then like based on your individual needs caps can assess their um their best path forward thank you absolutely sure yeah and i think that that makes a lot of sense too because not everybody's the same not everybody has gone through the same thing everyone's coming in there with a different story so it makes a lot of sense that you know you could have four sessions and then at that point you can the professionals can kind of tailor um, you know, something that would work to benefit you and help you manage and kind of move on by yourself, right? Because I think it's important not to be dependent on something as well. Um, so yeah, that's really awesome that you guys sort of um, help to do some sort of like, I don't want to call it outpatient. I don't know if you might have a better word for it or not, but like um, outside of your office, kind of working on yourself in a different way. Yeah, and I think that's the biggest piece is that when we meet with a student, it's a very collaborative sort of process to determine like what the next steps are going to be. So, you know, we'll make recommendations in terms of services that we have at CAPS that, you know, potentially might address some of the specific needs they're talking about. Um, The other big piece, too, that we often do is many times students will come with needs that might also be supported by other departments on campus. So the vicarious trauma, you know, that we were talking about and that you named, um, there are a number of other departments on campus that don't do the counseling piece of it, you know, that would, that would be us, um, but that also offer support for students who are dealing with race-based trauma. So for example, the Office of Identity, Equity, and Engagement, or IEE, is a huge campus partner with that. And so being able to help students know what all of their resources are on campus, even if it's us that they find first. And I think that really just connects it to the larger, the larger theme of this is, um, you know, mental health isn't an issue by itself. You know, it's interrelated to your identities, it's interrelated to your, your physical health, you know, what's currently going on in the world. I think that's very well reflected at UNC Charlotte. Um, CAPS works with other organizations to kind of tackle those other issues. Yeah. Um, so seeing as we have about five minutes left, um, we can go ahead and I guess, um, Tia, Tia, do you have any final questions you'd like to ask? Um, maybe. Uh... I know that uh, Dr. Lennon, you have a couple areas of expertise. And um, as I was reading your bio on the CAPS website, I noticed that you kind of specialize in like racial inequalities and LGBTQ plus. So um, I feel like we're gonna have a good variety of students that you know identify under those categories. So if at any other time, um, you know, maybe in like a month or two, we could potentially have you back on to kind of go deeper into those issues for our listeners, um, that would be fantastic. And then if you had any last words for our audience would be great. Yeah, I mean, more than happy, please feel free to reach out in the future if you want to. Um, And also, you know, just in terms of being able to provide perspectives, both with racial equity work, as well as work supporting LGBTQ students. I always think perspective and the identities that the person you're interviewing holds that informs that perspective are important. So I think for me, you know, I can definitely speak to, um, you know, working with LGBTQ students, identifying within the community myself. But also when I talk about, you know, racial equity work, it feels important for me to own that I do identify as white. And so a lot of racial equity work that I'm engaged in is coming out of that white consciousness and white lens that I hold. And so knowing that that's that's a perspective that's important that us as white folks, we need to be doing our work and we need to be part of this dialogue and part of this um, anti-racism work that's starting to gain a little bit more momentum. And, you know, that's one limited perspective. And so if you all are ever interested in other perspectives, um, you know, for individuals that have different identities than myself, let me know that too. in terms of leaving, you know, individuals with kind of a, a lasting thought, I mean, I think, you know, one of the biggest pieces is I would just leave is the idea of community. 
Um, that can look different for every single person, but I think with what we're going through related to COVID, I think with what we continue and have been going through for hundreds and hundreds of years as a country in terms of anti-Blackness violence in particular and other forms of race-based violence, I think really continuing to sustain ourselves related to our mental health needs to involve community. That can be one person, that can be a pet, that can be like a group of people. It can be people with similar racial identities or similar sexual or gender identities. Um, it could be family, it could be you know, your religious community, it could be peers, mentors, like whatever it is. But I think that's something I would really stress for folks is like find your people you know, whatever that looks like, even if they're four-legged, like, people, right? Um, but that connection of not being alone, I think, is so important when it comes to managing our mental health, is that you are not by yourself in that. And for, you know, all the students out there, I think just remembering that that CAPS wants to be part of your community, and CAPS wants to support you, um, you know, in whatever way that you will allow us to be able to do that. Um, so just to know, you know, there's other departments on campus, too, that definitely want to be a part of your community, but since I work at CAPS, I kind of want to speak from that perspective. With that, we will be concluding our first episode of Cloud of Witnesses podcast. We are so very grateful to have had Dr. Lennon from CAPS at UNC Charlotte to join us today to speak on some very pressing issues, some very important topics that need to be discussed. Uh, it was a pleasure having her here today, and we hope that this podcast was informative for you uh, UNC Charlotte students, Charlotte residents, people in the community, people all over the world, Millennium Fellowship members. We hope that you enjoyed this podcast. We hope you got something great out of it. We know that we did. As you all have come to find out, Cloud of Witnesses is a podcast that really supports the progress that is being made in the categories of good health, well-being, and education for all. These are the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals 3 and 4 in which our project is surrounded by. So each of our podcast episodes will be touching on these topics in some way, shape, or form. We hope that each of our episodes somehow touches the lives of the people around us, and we hope that you stay tuned to our podcast. We hope to see you next time. Thank you so much for coming. We couldn't do this without you, and we'll see you later.